Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us all together, those who are in the sanctuary and those who are tuning in via live stream, so that we could come at the foot of the cross and learn from you. We know that the signs are telling that your coming is very soon, and the only thing that we can take from this planet Earth to heaven is your character. So as we open your word this morning, we invite your presence to be among us. Help us to learn, retain, and apply these things in our lives so that we may be part of the, of the group of people that are going to embrace you when you come in the clouds. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have titled this message this morning, Lost and Found. Your ransom was paid. I'm sure that all of us, we have lost something before. I remember recently I lost my keys, my car keys and all my keys to all the doors that I needed to get into. And I was so frustrated because I couldn't find them. I, I went around the whole entire church. Pastor Dennis had to take me home. I had to ride with Pastor Dennis because I couldn't find my key. And the next day when I came in, guess what? My key was in one of the pews. I felt... I felt so irresponsible and said to myself, hey, why couldn't I find my keys? So there's two things, the frustration of not finding what you're seeking for and what you're looking for, and also the joy of finding it. I wasn't too hard on myself because I was so happy I had found my keys. I could get into my car and do all the things that I needed to do. The, the subheading, it says here, your ransom has been paid or was paid. The word ransom, just to refresh your memories or your minds, it is a price that is paid to redeem someone that has been captured. Or it is, a, it is in monetary form, it depends what it is. So if someone comes and captures one of, one, of, uh, one of the people or one of us, and they say, for you to be able to take that person back to where they belong, you need to pay a certain amount of money, that is ransom. So the reason why I put it there is because our ransom was paid on the cross by Jesus. Amen. So we want to spend our time today, this morning, in the book of Luke chapter 15. So let's turn into our Bibles to go into the book of Luke chapter 15. Uh, this is the passage that has the three, three parables of the lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But we won't be able this morning to go through all of them. So we're going to spend our time from verse 1 to verse 7, which is the lost sheep. So the Bible reads, if you're there, I can still hear the pages that are still opening to get to, to, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says here, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near him to hear him. So if uh, you're a good student of the Bible and you see a chapter starting with the word then or therefore, it means something happened before. So these people, the tax collectors and the sinners, they are drawing near to God or to Jesus, but something had happened. So if you go, I want to give you a homework. If you go and read the whole entire chapter 14 before you get to chapter 15, Jesus speaks about different things. He speaks about... Humility, he speaks about how to treat the poor, he, he speaks about self-sacrifice, he speaks about being the salt of the earth. But at the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus was actually in the house of one of the chief Pharisees. 
So Jesus is there and giving this message in chapter 14, which turns out to be an, a stern rebuke to the belief system of the Pharisees. So whilst he was speaking, and these people, the, the, um, the publicans, they saw, I believe with all my heart, they saw in Jesus' countenance something that was inviting, even in his words. We're going to get into the description or a full understanding of what this group of people who are called publicans and sinners, what were their belief system or what was the culture around it. But for some reason, these people, they felt very comfortable drawing closer to Jesus and wanting to hear more from him. So let's look at, at, the, at the publicans. Who are these people? Who are these publicans? The first question that I, I asked when I was reading this is, are these two groups of people? Because the Bible here says the publicans and the sinners. So let's go to the book of Luke, the same book, chapter 19, verse 7 to verse 9. We find a story that is very familiar to us, which has been shared as a Bible story for the kids for, for many times. The Bible says here, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was, he was rich. We know the story, Zacchaeus gets into a tree, and Jesus saw him, and he said, I'm going to be with you uh, at your house. Verse 7, I'm going to skip to verse 7. But when they saw it, these are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a, who is a sinner. So you see in this verse, we get an interpretation or an explanation to this group of people. They were not separate, two separate group of, groups of people. Just being a publican, you were just a sinner. But I want you to, to, to wrap your minds on this label. Can you imagine someone in the community being labeled as a sinner? Is that something that you'd be happy with? We know we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but to be, to be labeled a sinner in a community is not something that I would be happy with. But the Pharisees, they found comfort in labeling others as sinners, as if they were not sinners themselves. So going back to chapter 15, but before we go back to chapter 15, Jesus says something that gives us a a clear picture of his mission. Verse, seven, verse 8, the Bible says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. Verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Jesus clearly paints a clear picture of his mission, which, of which the Pharisees did not understand. And they sought to draw or to drive people away from Jesus. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I have actually come for these people. I have come to save those who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Those who have realized that they have fallen away. So the Pharisees, 
they were, they were correct. This group of people, they were actually sinners. You can see from the testimony that is being given by Zacchaeus here that they, they, his business dealings with people in collecting taxes, they were crooked. So on top of being a tax collector, they were actually they were sinners. They were correct. But we are going to see as we discuss, as we go deeper into this passage, that even though they were correct that these people were sinners, their solution to the problem was wrong because they wanted to draw people away from, from Jesus. Let's hear what uh, SDA Bible Commentary says about, about the publicans. It says here, in the New Testament, publicans were the agents who actually collected taxes from the people and were probably, with rare exceptions, Jews. So these were Jews who were working for the Roman Empire. As representatives of a heathen conqueror, tax collectors were to the people a most painful reminder of the law state to which the Jewish nation had fallen. Adding to the disgrace of publicans in the sight of the Jews was the unscrupulous practice followed by nearly all these heartless parasites of fleecing the people of every farthing that law or, or the ever-present Roman soldier might force them to do. So on top of just collecting the taxes, they would enforce the laws that the Roman Empire would want the, the people of Israel to follow, which were oppressive laws, by the way. It goes on to say here, a Jew who became a publican was looked upon as a traitor to Israel, a lackey of the, Roman, of, of the hated Romans. If it was wrong from the Jewish point of view to pay a tax, how much worse it must have been to collect taxes. A publican was therefore ostracized from society and excommunicated from the synagogue. He was looked upon and treated as a heathen dog and tolerated only because the power of Rome was back of him. I wouldn't want to be a publican in the eyes of the Pharisees, but praise God that in the eyes of Jesus, the publicans heard something in his voice that they wanted to be drawn to Jesus. Amen. Let's go to verse 2. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15, verse 2. So now let's transition. We want to see some of the mindset or some of the thinking in the eyes of the Pharisees. We definitely know that the Pharisees followed Jesus to find an occasion against him so that they could accuse him because he didn't fit their criteria of being a Messiah. He ate with the publicans, he would mingle with the sinners, and he would rebuke the Pharisees. But there's more to the Pharisees and this group of people that we should be able to understand why they had that view. We'll see that in the spiritual prophecy as well. In the same commentary, SDA Bible commentary, it tells us that the Pharisees had a rigid adherence to the law and to the host of traditions, interpret, traditional interpretations which at the time were growing out from it. So they saw themselves as the people that were to guard the oracles of, of God. And on top of that, they invented all these extra ceremonies that were a burden to the people that they thought would be would be a protection for them to be, to be separated from the nations that were around them. So these were the Pharisees. It goes on to say they insisted on avoiding public responsibility and civic duties. 
while not withdrawing entirely from the harm and bustle of life, they were critical judges of it and so sought to avoid its supposedly defiling contacts. So this is the mindset of the Pharisee. They're saying there should be a separation between church and state. Amen. But if they stopped there, their belief system was not complete and was not in line with the message and the mission they were given by God. Because in chapter 14, Jesus ends by saying salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor the, 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 the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has an ear, let him hear. So they were supposed to be the salt of the, of the earth and to bring the message of hope to other nations. But they saw it differently. They said, we are a peculiar people. We're not supposed to mingle with the sinners. We are supposed to be separated from the sinners. It is a good thing not to go with the flow of the world, but if you just stop there and not seek to reach the lost, then you have completely misunderstood the mission of Jesus and what he wants you to do with your life. So that was the mindset of the Pharisees. It is one thing to be in the company of sinners or the publicans. It is another to eat with them. You know, if you have a relationship with someone, if you want to show that you appreciate them, you invite them to your house for lunch, right? On a Sabbath. Or you take them out to eat. I'm sure some of you who are married here, when you wanted to show your spouse that you appreciate them, you want to spend a special time, some of you still do that on date nights, you go with them to your favorite restaurant and you grab something that is really nice to eat. So you can see why the Pharisees were so mad. That he doesn't only mingle with these people, he actually eats with them. He eats with sinners. Why did the Pharisees have this mindset? Why is that? Christ's Object Lessons, page 18, paragraph 2, it says, In Israel, men's teaching had been put in the place of God's teaching, not only the things of nature, but the sacrificial service and the scriptures themselves, all given to review God, were so perverted that they became the means of concealing him. So this is the reason why the Pharisees could not understand the mission of Jesus because the things of nature that were supposed to explain all these things to the nation of Israel, they were enshrouded by darkness and they could not understand. Listen to what it says here. It was taught by the Jews, this is Christ's Object Lessons 189 paragraph 1. It was taught by the Jews that before God's love is extended to the sinner, he must first do what? He must first repent. Is this true? No, it's not true. It goes on to say, in their view, repentance is a work by which man earns the, the favor of heaven. And it was this thought that led the Pharisees to exclaim in astonishment and anger, this man received sinners. So they're saying, no, what, what the sinner needs to do, the sinner needs to cleanse himself and then go to the Savior so that he will not defile the Savior, which is the complete opposite of the plan of salvation and the gospel. Jesus said, come unto me, ye who are heavily laden and are labored, and I will give you what? And I will give you rest. Come as you are. 
And it goes on to say, according to their ideas, he should permit none to approach him but those who had repented. I have no idea where they got this perverted doctrine. The Savior should be separated from the people unless they have repented. No. If you read Romans chapter 7, we find the struggling man who is saying, who can deliver me out of this darkness? He said, I want to do good, but I don't know how to do it. I, found a, I find a law that is within me, which is the law of sin, that when I want to do good, I find myself doing what is what? What is evil? I'm helpless. I cannot do it. So I need a savior to come and save me so that I can do what's right. I'm sure most of us, or some of us, or all of us, we've been to that place where you have wrestled with something that you have struggled with. You wake up and that sin is in, is in your eyes. You determine that I'm not, going to, I'm, I'm not going to do it again. And you say, this time, this is the last time that I've done this thing and I'm sick and tired of it. You know what's right and you want to escape. And you fall again and again and again and again. And you get to a point where you, you pray that prayer in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Oh, wretched man, I am. It's Romans chapter 7 at the end of, of the chapter. Who shall deliver me? 8.1 says, I thank God who deliver me out of this body of death and sin. So they had lost that sight. They had lost that understanding. They didn't understand the true plan of redemption. Verse 3. Luke chapter 15, verse 3. Let's go back into our Bibles. And the Pharisees in their misunderstanding and the Sadducees in their wanting to hear more about Jesus. Jesus now transitioned to, to the story or to the parable of the lost sheep. But before he gets into the story, verse 3 says, So he spoke this parable to them saying, Why is Jesus speaking in parables? You already have the quotation right up there. But why is Jesus speaking in parables? Let me see. I might have skipped something here. All right. There we go. Why is Jesus speaking in parables? Let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9. The Bible says, I have it on the screen if, uh, if you are not yet there. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9. The Bible says, And he, meaning God, said, Go and tell these people, meaning the Israelites, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. This is the authorized King James Version, but it basically means they have literal eyes, they have literal ears, but they don't understand the things that God wants to convey to them, the plan of redemption and the things of salvation. So based on this verse, let's read what it says in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, verse 34 and verse 35. It says... All these things Jesus spake, Jesus spake, all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in what? In parables. What was the reason? That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the, of the world. 
So right there, it gives the reason why Jesus spake in parables, so that they can be able to understand the hidden things of God, which at the center of the hidden things that might have been hidden to them because they were not willing to take Jesus as their personal savior, the center of those things is the plan of redemption and the mission of Jesus. And you can see throughout his ministry, even the disciples themselves, they couldn't understand the true mission of Jesus. So the prophet that is being referenced there as it was spoken by the prophet, it is a reference that we find in the book of Psalms where it says, I'll open my mouth in parables to other things which have been kept in secret from the foundation of the world. Christ's Object Lessons, page 17, paragraph 2. Natural things were the medium for spiritual. The things of nature and the life experience of his hearers were connected with the truths of the written word, leading thus from the natural to the supernatural kingdom, uh, to the spiritual kingdom. Christ's parables are links in the chain of truth that unites men with God and earth with heaven. Amen. In the parables, we can see the connection that Jesus is seeking to to unite men with God in the natural things and in the experiences. And you can be asking, why is that that these two things are put together in this passage or in this paragraph? If you remember, when Joseph introduces his people to Pharaoh, to Pharaoh, he said what was their occupation? He said these men were what? Were shepherds. He said these men were shepherds. And in the, in the next passage that we are, going to, we are going to read, we'll see that in the audience, Jesus was actually teaching or talking to people who had an experience in tending sheep. So in my mind and in my own understanding, there is no better occupation that can help understand, help us understand of what Jesus has done besides herding sheep. Because many times in the Bible, Jesus refers to the nation of Israel as sheep, or his spiritual Israel, which is you and I, as sheep. He talks about pastures. He talks about him as their good shepherd. He talks about the bad shepherds. Even Paul talks about wolves coming to prey on the sheep. So these people, they were given an occupation that should have helped them to understand the mission of Jesus. So right there, he's talking to an audience that actually understands very much well the tending of sheep. And that's why he draws this lesson home to them. Look at what, what, uh, what, what it says here in verse 4. Jesus goes and transitions to the actual story. Verse 4, what men of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. The widespreading Christ Objects Lessons, page 186, paragraph 4, the widespreading tablelands of the east of Jordan afforded abundant pasturage for flocks. And through the gorges and over the wooded hills, he had wandered many a lost sheep. So there were a lot of sheep that had been lost. And these people, these people that were listening to Jesus, had gone on the journey to go and retrieve the sheep. It goes on to say, to be searched, to be searched for and brought back by the shepherd's care. 
in the company about Jesus, there were shepherds and also men who had money invested in flocks and herds, and all could appreciate his illustration. They could appreciate his illustration because they could understand him. SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 5. The Eastern Shepherd commonly knew each sheep personally and cared for it not only as one of the flock, but for its own sake. I'm going to jump to, to, the, to, to, to the last line here. The, lost, the, the, the one lost sheep represents both the individual sinner and the one world that has been what? That has been lost. But today we're going to focus more on the individual. But don't forget that Jesus left the entire universe of the unfallen worlds to come and die for this small, tiny little planet that the Bible says through one of the prophets, it is like a speck of dust in the hand of God. What men of love that God has bestowed upon us that we, we should be called the sons of God. So he, here the commentary says the shepherd actually knew the sheep not as a group, but as individual sheep. If they had names, he knew them by name. You know, it is easy to, to, to just get lost in the crowds in a big church like this, to just feel like you're just part of a big, big, big church and nobody cares about you. It is very easy. But I want to tell you this morning that Jesus cares about you. He cares about your needs. He knows your needs as an individual. It is very easy to think that you're just a nobody in this whole vast world of Adventism and you don't matter. You're thinking of these big names that you see on TV and that are popular. You're saying, oh, they are better than me. But I want to tell you, no, Jesus died for you. If you were the only person on this planet, Jesus could have come to die only for you. He knows you by name. He loves you. Don't allow Satan to tell you that you don't matter. Probably you have tried to do some things to make a difference in people's lives and you think you're not having success. I don't know what it is, what is discouraging you, but Jesus knows you. He's a good shepherd. He knows his sheep. And it is my prayer this morning that his sheep, as he said, will also know his voice. It goes on to say, not, not only so, but the loss of a single sheep would make an, an appreciable difference in his income and the income of the one who is herding the sheep. In the parable, look at what I've underlined here. I just want to draw your attention to that, to that section of this, of this passage or of this paragraph. In the parable, the fact that the sheep became lost was evidently due to its own ignorance and folly. And once lost, it seemed completely helpless to find its way back. So the Pharisees were not far off. They were right. This group of people were sinners. Because here, we see that the idea that is being clearly underlined here is that the sheep itself, for the, the reason why it's lost, it is because of its problem. It did not listen. Because I was thinking, if the shepherd is good, and if you understand how they herd sheep, well, how they herd sheep in the Middle East, the shepherd is in front of the sheep and the sheep are following. And the shepherd is yelling something. That's why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice because the shepherd will constantly be saying something in front of the sheep and the sheep will continue to follow. But there's this one sheep that decides to go its way. 
Probably this sheep would have thought that I can do just fine by myself. I got this. I don't want to hear the voice of the master because I can see probably from a distant land good pastures and I can lead myself and I can be just fine. But you know the result. This sheep ended up being lost. Are you in the same place today that you think you're an expert in this area? You have had a, a few decades in your life that you're so much experienced that you can live life without the help of Jesus. Is this the place you are? Because the sheep that was lost, it is because of its what? It's folly. Remember, Jesus said, without me, you can do how many things? You can do nothing. Probably you might have thought that you'd be just fine. But now you realize that where you are is very far away from the rest of the, of the children of God. You may be sitting in the pew today, but spiritually you are lost. There are things that you're, dealing, you're doing in your dealings, in your business dealings like Zacchaeus, that you know if at work somebody comes to audit you, you won't be able to pass the audit. You're very far from Jesus. You go from house to house talking bad things about people, tarnishing people's image, thinking that you're the most righteous person. You're lost. You're right there in here, lost. You know exactly that you're not supposed to watch some of the things that you're watching, the movies that you watch, that are action-packed, people killing people, or even pornography, or the music that you listen to. You know exactly that you're not supposed to listen to those things. They are defiling to the character. You're lost. You're stuck. This sheep was stuck. It didn't know how to get back home. You might be there. Because of carelessness. You just got careless. Probably your marriage might be crumbling right now. You used to text each other with your spouse. If you're not here, if I don't see you, I won't be able to sleep or I, don't be, I won't be able to eat. But now it's the vice versa. If they're here, you won't be able to sleep, you won't be able to eat. But Jesus is saying, I want to come and rescue you from that position that you're stuck. Jesus wants to come and transform your life, no matter where you are. So if you feel helpless, Jesus wants to come and bring you back to the fold. I want to share with you this story. This, this story about this guy called Fijo happened when I was in Zimbabwe in 2013. So when I, when I graduated from college, there were, no, there were not enough jobs in my country, we're going through a rough time uh, economically. So my friend and I decided we would go to one of the remote places and do a project of growing potatoes. That's another story on its own because it turned out being a great disappointment. But whilst I was there, there was one of my workers that I was working with. His name was Fijo. Brilliant guy. He was a hard worker. He lived in the plot that was next to, to the one that we were working at. So his landlord decides that he would buy sheep and would give him uh, the sheep to take care of. And he did so. And he bought two sheep and he gave it to Fiji. So we're so happy two animals were added to the few animals that we had. So one day when we were eating lunch after we had a really busy morning, the sheep were just grazing very close by and we could see them from a distance. And after a while, Fiji lifts up his head, and the sheep were gone. 
and he, he shared with us, he's like, the sheep are not there. And I said to him, hey, calm down. We need to get back to work. The sheep might be just behind those bushes. He listened to me, but you could see that he was concerned. After an hour or so, Fiji lifts up his head. He's like, no, the sheep are not there. If they were here, we could have seen them coming back. He said, no, I'm not coming to work this afternoon. I'm going to, I'm going to try and find them. Fiji was gone. He was gone for like an hour or probably an hour and a half. He comes back. And Fijo didn't have the sheep. And I'm thinking to myself, what happened? Fijo, where are the sheep? They were right here. They should be just behind the bushes. He said, no. Fijo, in that time, he had gone from village to village. And in all those villages that he had gone to, they had told him that they had seen these two sheep running. So he later, he later explained to me, because he understood sheep, he had worked with them, or he had heard sheep before. He said, I don't know about in, in, in different places where the sheep are, but he said, when they get on a path, on a footpath, and they face a certain direction, they think that's where home is. And they run as fast as possible, going another direction, thinking that they will get home. And they keep running. They might stop to eat a little bit, but they'll get back on that footpath and they run. So all these villages had seen these sheep running. And they had told Fiji, we know this is the color of the sheep. He said, yes, that's, that's, those are the sheep that I'm looking for. He comes back, he's very sad. He's, he's a responsible shepherd. And he said, I need, to get a, I need to get a truck. So the next morning, he rented a truck. He went the whole day with another guy. They left. They went the whole day. These sheep were far, and they were lost. But praise God, they were able to find them. But the only thing, the reason why these sheep were found is because they had been attacked by dogs. So one of them were really injured, and you could see that it didn't have that long to leave. The other one was still doing good. Fijo and this other guy put these two sheep in the back of the truck, and they came back home. This is not the end of the story. Fijo takes out those sheep. He lets the other one that still had a few injuries, and it was grazing, and the other one couldn't even stand. And I could see that this animal couldn't live for long. But Fijo, in his heart... That day, he went a distance to the shopping center. You know, in the rural areas, if you have been to, to my part of the world, in the rural areas, the, the roads are not so good. So a distance that you should be taking, like 30 minutes, it was a two-hour distance. He traveled that distance to go and buy medication for this one ship that we all could see that it didn't have long to leave. He came back. He applied the medication on both, and within a few hours, that sheep died. But I'm not telling this story to be a sad story. I'm sharing this story to be an encouragement to you and to see how Jesus loves his sheep. Fiji was willing to go all those days searching for this sheep, and he didn't entertain the discouragement that I and my friends gave him because he was a good shepherd. This is how Jesus is seeking after us. 
You might think this is a discouraging part of the story that the sheep that died and was injured died where it was. It is better to die in the arms of Jesus than to die in the wilderness. Amen? When you come to Jesus, some of you will come and have healed wounds but ugly scars. But let those scars be a reminder of the grace of Jesus. No matter what you have done, Spiritual prophecy in the same book, Christ Object Lessons, it tells us that the cry of the sheep that, G, that, uh, that shepherd went to get on the cliff, it was crying its last and its cry was getting faint and faint. And this shepherd finds it. Let's see what she says as well in verse 5. Verse 5, she says, when he, had, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Praise the Lord. Look at what she says. At last, his efforts, his effort is rewarded. The loss is what? The loss is found. Then he does not scold it because it has caused him so much trouble. He does not drive it with a whip. He does not even try to lead it home to say, hey, now I'm going to give you a lesson of listening to my voice. You come, back, you come behind me and we're going to go home. No, he doesn't say that. In his joy, he takes the trembling creature upon his shoulders. If it is bruised and wounded, he gathers it in his arms, pressing it close to his bosom, that the warmth of his own heart may give it life with gratitude that his search has not been in vain. He bears it back to the fold. Praise the Lord for Jesus. He bears it close to the fold. But Satan is not happy. This quotation basically says that there are some that are going to criticize to say, hey, this person is not fully repentant. We don't trust his, the, the person's repentance. But she says it is the work of Satan to discourage someone who needs to come back to Jesus. Verse 6 and 7, it basically talks about the rejoicing that is going to happen in heaven when one who is lost is found. This quotation, I don't want to skip it. I want to read it. The rabbis had a saying that there is rejoicing in heaven when one who has sinned against God is destroyed. Is this true? No, it's not. I don't know how they got to this point where they were so far from God that they had the reverse of the plan of salvation. It goes on to say, but Jesus told that to God, the work of destruction is a strange work. God does not delight in the death of sinners. That's why we need to take the gospel to all the people in this whole entire world because all those people that you're seeing that are dying without knowing Jesus, God is pained because he does not delight in the death of sinners. He goes on to say that in which all heaven delights is the restoration of God's own image in the souls whom he has made. I'm going to close with a story. This story, I was trying to search where I can find it. I wanted the names and the places because someone who told me this story told me that it was a true story, but I couldn't find it. So I'm just going to share it in a generic way without the details of the place and the names. So a story is told. A group of people was captured from a certain land. 
They were from a royal family. And they were captured. There was war, and they were captured. They were prisoners of war, and they were taken far, far away to, to a different country. Years passed, and that group of people, generations passed. So the great, 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 great kids were the ones that were left. So generations had passed, a long time had passed, to such an extent that the generation that was present didn't have a clear picture of where they had come from. They identified with the people that were there, but they knew that they were slaves. They didn't have the privileges of the people that owned or that ran that country. From where they had been, they had come from their own land. There was one lady who was a researcher. She's going through all this history and all this research and came to find out that there were a people who belonged to the royal family that were captured and never came back. And the terms she found out from that other country, yes, they knew the documentation was there. The other country said upon negotiation, for you to be able to take your own people back, there is a ransom that needs to be paid, a huge amount of money. This lady was so very passionate, and she was very, very, very determined. She wanted these people back so bad. It was her joy. She had done extensive research. She made a campaign. If it was this day, probably she made a GoFundMe or something from these platforms. She talked with the government, her own government, and all the things that needed to be done, the money was there, the, all the processes were followed, all the procedures were followed. And another, an, another requirement that was there is she was supposed to go and talk with these people. They could only be taken, one, because of the ransom that was paid, but two, if they were willing to be taken from this bondage. She goes with an interpreter to this country with a group of people. She gets there. She's so delighted to see these people. She takes pictures with them, sends pictures home. And she's right there talking with these people, explaining to them that they were from a royal family. And for a while, they seemed to be understanding. Finally, they agreed that they would go with her. She was so happy that finally these people were going to make headlines. The day came when they were to pack their bags and finally go. They did indeed pack their bags. As they were exiting the camp, the final gate, some of their elders stopped. She couldn't understand the language. The interpreter had to interpret what they were saying. They didn't look too happy. And she said, what, what are they saying? And the interpreter said, Things are not looking good. Why? They are saying they don't want to go anymore. They, someone tell me that they are kidding. They don't want to go anymore. And they became very, very, very angry. They took their bags. They went back into the camp. She came back with an interpreter and said, let's talk about this. What is happening? I thought you were understanding. I thought we were going together. And they said, our forefathers, their graves are here. We don't know where you want to take us. We only know slavery. We want to die here. We don't want to go to a place where we don't know. Please leave us alone. 
the more she tried to talk with them, the more they were angry at her, that they were actually starting to get violent. She left them. She was very sad. She went back home a discouraged person. Their ransom had been paid, but they didn't want to take advantage of it. They had known slavery for a long time. My friend, probably, you're now beginning to identify with the sin that you have struggled with for so long, and you're thinking that's part of you. Some of you say, it is my temper. No, 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 it's not your temper. You don't have a bad temper. It is Satan that is working in your heart. God, Jesus wants to take it away. You don't have to die in sin. Jesus died for you. You are now beginning to identify, oh, I, I, I have this personality. I cannot do anything about it. It is me. No, it's not you. It's not you. Your ransom was paid. Jesus wants to take you from where you are to a different place altogether. It's not you. You are not a thief. You are not an adulterer. You are not a transgressor of God's law. It is Satan who has captured you, even though you might not see the clear picture of what God has prepared for you today. But in faith, know that God wants to take you to a place where you have never tasted before. The Bible says, test and see what God, how God is so beautiful. Look at what she says here. Christ Object Lessons 188, paragraph 2. She said, everyone that will submit to the ransom, Christ will rescue from the pit of corruption and from the briars of sin. Amen? Amen. So you have a part to play. Your ransom has been play, paid. Jesus came to this planet Earth to save you. He came all the way from heaven. He has done his part. And according to Revelation, he is saying, I'm at the door knocking each and every day on the door of your heart. If you allow me to get in, I will sup with you. So what is left is your part. Will you this morning, will you this afternoon, will you open your heart for Jesus to do a work that he has been longing to do in your heart? Will you allow him so that he can be able to fulfill, to, to complete this work that he has begun in you? If it is your desire this morning to say, Jesus, I would like to take advantage of the ransom that you have paid. You're saying in your heart, I would like to be where Jesus wants me to be. There might be somebody here who has not received Jesus as their personal savior for the first time. You want to receive Jesus as your personal savior. There's a, there's a card that is in your pew in front of your pew that says connect, write in that card that I would like to start Bible studies. I would like to start studying with somebody. There's someone here or someone who is listening online that might, might have backslidden. There were things that you knew that this is the principles of God. You actually once have tasted the beauty of walking with Jesus, but for some reason you've fallen and you want to come back to Jesus. If it is your desire this morning, let's stand and sing this song. I've wandered far away from home. Lord, I am coming home. Jesus' arms are wide open. And if it is your prayer, listen to the words of this song. We're going to pray so that God will give us all power and strength. As the musicians are coming, 
to lead this song, let it be your prayer this morning that Jesus will help you to come back to his fold.